Hello and welcome. Legally Brief presents the Child Athlete Abuse Podcast. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer, mother, and survivor. I work with competitive athletes, survivors, and their families who are confronting abuse. This podcast is for parents, athletes, and survivors who are fed up, dealing with fear, and searching for answers. On today's episode, we are going to discuss how dyslexia, a learning difference, impacts student-athletes. But before we get into the show, a short disclaimer. I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast, but the contents are never a substitute for contacting and speaking directly with a licensed attorney who knows and understands your unique circumstances. Remember that past episodes of this podcast can be found on my website, jsaunderslawfirm.com. When you're there on the website, have a look around. I put some additional information there that may help answer your questions. If you're also on the website, you can sign up for the monthly newsletter, leave your name, and you'll be the first to find out when new episodes of the podcast come out or any updates that may impact you that have to do with the law. And of course, when you're ready to speak directly and confidentially to an attorney, you can always call my office at 212 709-8141. Do not forget, help me out and do me a favor. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, if something that I said means something, resonates with you, or maybe a family member, a student athlete, or a survivor, share it with them. Subscribe to the podcast, download it, leave a five-star rating and a review. It will help the show and help others learn about it. We're talking about a learning difference and how it impacts student athletes. This learning difference is called dyslexia. The Yale Center for Creativity and Dyslexia defines this learning difference as an unexpected difficulty in learning to read. Dyslexia can take away an individual's ability to read quickly and automatically, to retrieve spoken words easily, but it does not dampen a person's creativity. The Yale Center goes on to provide the following information about dyslexia. It says that children and adults with dyslexia struggle to read fluently. They may have struggles with spelling words correctly or learning a second language. These are some of the challenges, but these difficulties have no connection to a student, to a child's, to an adult's overall intelligence. The center says that in fact, dyslexia is an unexpected difficulty in reading. And the person, the individual, may be far more intelligent than even the best readers. While people with dyslexia may be slow readers, they are often very fast and creative thinkers with strong reasoning abilities. Now, here's a challenge that I've had, and I don't know if it's so much for a challenge with me, or it is that individuals that are close to me and have to deal with me on a daily basis, but it's something that I've always called directional dyslexia. And I learned that even that I was using the wrong term, but for the sake of this show, directional dyslexia, it's really when an individual can have difficulty distinguishing between the left and the right. So for example, if you're in a car and a person is driving or they're giving directions and they have this difficulty. They may say left, but mean to turn right. So that's just part of that. And some individuals, professionals may call it disorientia. Hope I said that right. 
But it is, it's a difficulty distinguishing right from left or following a sequence of directions or retracing a path. A person can have that issue with direction. Like I said before, at stop signs, say if they're getting off the elevator, and you'll see that if you are an athlete with this challenge, it could directly impact how you play, how you hear a coach's directions and what you do, how you're processing that. This ability, we know this ability to distinguish your left from a right, it is, it's, it's essential in sports. Entire games or competitions, training can be won or lost on a player making a move in one direction or another. There's a humiliation when athlete may incorrectly go in the wrong direction, and it could mean disaster for that person and for their entire team. The athlete, parent, or coach that doesn't understand what this is, doesn't understand this issue, can become extremely frustrated. You can feel shame and you can be angry. You can be angry if you're the student athlete or the parent or the coach or a fan. Unfortunately, there are times when the athlete and those around them, those that love them and support them, they do understand. And they could even tell the third party, like a coach, someone in authority about this challenge that they're having with directions and distinguishing. And maybe it's just a lack of empathy or understanding that could then lead that coach to become and enter into, you know, abusive coaching practices, that frustration, that lack of understanding. So here's an example of how that might look. If you are a student athlete, you are playing in your sport, say it's football, or say it is uh, anything. It could be football, it could be gymnastics, and you're given a sequence, you're given steps that you need to follow, a skill that you need to do or master. And it's not only just the direction of left from right, it's that sequence that you have to follow that can be an issue and can be hard to recall. Now, if you're being told that and the coach is thinking that they're saying that to you and it's very clear to them, I said to you left or right or use your right foot or move to the right or do this skill in this order, in this progression with this arm, or with this foot forward, and you keep getting it wrong, not because you're doing it intentionally. It's because you're dealing with this issue of processing these directions or sequence. But to the outside looker, to the coach, that is frustrating. They're thinking if there's a lack of understanding or a lack of knowledge, they could be thinking, this individual, this athlete, this child is not listening to me. You're so stupid. You're, you're just doing what you want to do. Then the frustration builds, the anger builds. There's a breakdown. There's a lack of understanding. The athlete feels shame, humiliated. And it's even worse when they don't understand why their brain is doing this. They start to think they're stupid. They start to withdraw. It can be just a mess. It can be traumatizing depending on the level of frustration, depending on how the adult reacts. And if they don't have empathy, if they don't have understanding, it can lead to trauma. How common? So those are two different. So there's dyslexia and then there's this whole disorientation, being able to distinguish. But all of those together come under the bigger umbrella of the learning difference that we call and that I defined as dyslexia. How common is this? 
dyslexia is the most common learning difference. It affects about 20% of the United States population. And that's 20% of individuals that know about it. There's older individuals that have no idea. They just go through life thinking they're less than, thinking they're stupid, thinking they're unable to read, unable to understand. And they're not even included in this 20%. If you have some form of this dyslexia, and again, it could be on a spectrum, so to speak. You can just be a slow reader and that be the only manifestation, or there can be many other issues that you're dealing with. So if you have this you know, issue, there's a large segment of the population, even in the world. There's actually a group, there's an online group. There's several if you go online and you type in dyslexia, but there is different support groups on Facebook that talk about it. There's actually even an app for individuals that are working and living with dyslexia. So if you have this learning difference, you're in welcomed company. You're not alone, which leads me to this quandary that I've already always had. If there are so many individuals with this learning difference and it's really pretty common, is it then really a condition? Is it really a learning difference? Is it a, and some people go so far to say it's a disability or a disorder. I do not characterize it as a disability or a disorder. Okay. So let's just put that out there. But if this is so common, then should we really consider it disorder? Is it better to think of it just as the way that some individuals, their brain works? Is there only one set standard for how an individual processes information? If in fact you can have this learning difference and be just as intelligent as, you know, the best of the readers, of the traditional readers, so to speak, then why are you still, if you have this learning quote unquote difference, why are you still seen as the individual with the disability or the disorder instead of just another fully embodied individual that processes information. So that's just a quandary that I've always had about this, what some people may call condition or difference. So for example, another example of this is when when I talk about so many individuals having this, are they re- should they really be seen as having a disorder or difference? When if you look at Another analogy. So take, for example, men have always been the standard in so many medical tests and drug studies that they are considered the baseline or the norm. Now, recently and more prevalently, women are becoming a different baseline for their own testing. There's been differences and there's been an absence of medical testing and drug studies for individuals, people of color. And the women, people of color, they have not been considered the norm, not only in medical or drug testing, but in so many other areas. So, you know, when you think about what is the norm, maybe we're not thinking wide enough. Maybe the whole concept of traditional readers, if you read fast, you're normal. If you don't read fast or if you're a visual reader, that's not traditional. Maybe we need to expand what is traditional 
similar to how the medical profession is now expanding what is the baseline for each group. Men are no longer the base, the norm in drug testing. So that's just an analogy. Some of the challenges being labeled dyslexic or having dyslexia, it really is even today in 2021, it's shrouded, it's in covered in shame. If you're identified early in school, in some instances, that's a great thing. You, the parent, the child, the teacher will have better understanding about what's going on. Usually at around fourth grade, that's when, how does the saying go that you no longer are learning to read, you read to learn. So there's a big stark line drawn in the sand. If by fourth grade, you're not reading on grade level, or you're not reading with efficiency, and you're not processing and taking, and you really start to be left behind in the traditional school system. And that can be very traumatic for kids. All of a sudden, you know, you're with your same group, you're playing with this, your same friends. And for some reason, all of a sudden you're being labeled because there's something wrong with you because you're not reading or processing at the same speed. However, you know that you're just as intelligent. So, you know, early identification in school can be a good thing. In some experiences, it can be bad. You can be singled out, separated, pulled apart from your classmates. You're no longer with your friends. Learning with dyslexia means that you can now, in some instances, wear that scarlet letter, that badge of special ed. You go on the small bus, you're in the resource room. And now while your teammates, your neighborhood playmates, they run off together and they attend classes with familiar faces. A child with has this dyslexia is keenly aware because they're being given the message, hey, you're not smart. You're not going to go into those same classes. You're different. You Maybe you're given an aid or you need special help. I'm not saying that academic accommodations are not a good thing. They are assistance with language processing, if needed, assisted technology or software, audible reading devices. They open up a whole new world for individuals where print reading is not natural. I myself personally, I am an audible fan. I consume all of my books, most of the books on audible. So, you know, in listening to it, And that's why I have such a love for podcasting. It gives me an opportunity to connect with other individuals and that spoken word. So that's something that I have always been drawn to. So it does open up a world. However, if you have that label and if you haven't been treated properly early on in your life or given the empathy or understanding, then you could feel that you're not that traditional learner. You're not that child in school or on the athletic field that's celebrated, the A student, the high achiever, the person that scores high on standardized tests, or your go to the honors classes. You're just, it's only luck if you're able to get by. And now the celebration of traditional learners, traditional learners, traditional athletes, it doesn't end at high school graduation. It goes on through. It goes through college. If you're entering a college or you're trying to get an athletic or academic scholarship, it follows you then if you're not a traditional learner. And you know, if you're not a traditional learner, you don't have those stellar high GPAs. 
your transcripts and you don't have the error-free writing samples, that also will impact you and follow you through life. For non-traditional learners, the education, career, and even your athletic journey, it can be a roller coaster, leaving you feel feeling just shame-filled, panic-filled, and knowing that you have constant anxiety. So why is sport, why is athleticism so important to all children, but especially children who have this learning difference? The Yale Center, again, emphasized it's important that some of the brightest children struggle to read. Dyslexia, it can occur at all different levels. It can even occur in if you have a student or an athlete that's considered highly gifted. Many gifted people are at the top of their field that live with dyslexia. And while dyslexia can make you a slow reader, it doesn't necessarily make you a slow athlete. But again, if you're not aware, if coaches aren't aware, if individuals calling plays or when you're out there in the athletic field, if they're not aware, if they don't have empathy, or even they make you, they humiliate you about the condition. I've heard of instances of that where you've had a coach who, for whatever reason, frustrated, untrained, lack of professionalism, will use that to single out a player that they know has this, whether it's the inability to distinguish left and right or follow plays, will use that to publicly humiliate a player. And the frustration that so many athletes, so many students with dyslexia, they know that they're fast. They know that they're intelligent. They know that they're creative thinkers, visual thinkers, beautiful, brilliant minds. But it is that shame. You're clumped with all of these other students. And you know that your only job is to make the grade, make the score, do well. And the one barrier is this in every class, everywhere you go, when you're age, what, five to 18, and then if you go on to college or graduate school, you know that the biggest obstacle is the traditional learning center that requires heavy, heavy reading. And that's something that you're always bumping up against if you're a non-traditional learner. Sports then, and why is it so important? Sports is a way that students, it's a way for children to make friends, to fit in with others. They feel more normal than they do in the school atmosphere. And that's why it's so important. Then with a sport, a someone that's living with dyslexia, they have a chance to have belonging, to understand, and to have acceptance. And that importance, what sport can give a child with this learning difference, it can really be even more traumatic when the child gets out to the field or gets into the gym and then they encounter a coach that is not understanding, that engages in abusive or humiliates or degrades a player because of this dyslexia. So that is a double punch in the gut. The student is dealing with this all day long, struggling, working, not at 100%, working at 150%. Because remember, if a traditional reader is opening a book or is listening to 
the instructor and taking down notes and it's just flowing in easy for them. They're hearing it, they're producing the work. An individual with this learning difference is working overtime. Their brain is processing, trying to recall. They're exhausted at the end of a 45 minute class, a 50 minute class. And then finally they get to run outside, they get to play, they get to be in their bodies, be in themselves and wham, they're hit with an authority figure or a coach that's not understanding, or if they do understand, is crossed over the line and is now engaging in abusive coaching practices. That's why I want to eject right here. If you have a player, if you have a student athlete that you suspect may have this um, dyslexia, or you're not sure what it is, but you know that this child is not intentionally not following directions. And I don't know what child every time at every single practice would intentionally come back to the sport, want to play, but then purposely not get something right. I understand that, you know, children can have their own way to voice their displeasure, but every single time, that's probably something beyond just general defiance. And in that case, if you're a coach, if you're a person entrusted with children, get educated on this learning difference, get educated on the frustration. Over 20% of the population is dealing with this. It's something that we all should be familiar with it. Because if you understand it, with that understanding, you'll have patience. You won't inflict unintentionally, you won't inflict harm on another person, on a young person's mind, on on the way they live their life. We know that because so many individuals that live with dyslexia, they're visual learners. And remember, coach, remember authority figure that has, you know, you're, you're working with children because they're so intelligent, because they're so creative. Just think of, if you really understand this, how you can draw out that intelligence. It doesn't always have to be from left, right, or sequence. It can cause you also to become more creative in your instruction and in your dealing. And isn't that what we want? Don't we want a more diverse way of thinking, of pulling people under the umbrella, under the tent? We want to bring people in, not isolate individuals, not make them feel humiliated. Because guess what? It doesn't feel good for you to humiliate someone either. You may think that in the frustration, when you say something mean, when you blow off some steam, but unless you're a, you know, a psychopath, which you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you were, it doesn't feel good to humiliate someone. And that's why it's important to understand what may be going on with an athlete, what may be going on with a student and pull them in under the tent. Don't isolate, don't humiliate. Avoid abusive tones, avoid ridiculing. Think about what you're saying and how it can impact that athlete. You don't want to inflict any type of lasting psychological harm. You don't want to engage in excessive conditioning. These are some of the things that I've been told that happens to individuals who are managing dyslexia. It's being misinterpreted. What they're doing and how they're processing information, again, may look to the outsider to be like defiance, to be like intentionally not getting it. And because of that, that then is perceived by the coach or authority figure to be, you know, defiance or pushback. And 
as a way to bring them back into line, there's excessive conditioning and you don't want to do that. So get educated coaches, get educated parents. Famous athletes have thrived. We know this with managing and living with dyslexia. A few of them well noted. And there's tons that we don't know about. There's tons at the college level, at the high school level. There's tons playing in travel sports. But just a few of the notable, Muhammad Ali struggled in high school. It was said, it's been quoted that Muhammad Ali said, many of my teachers labeled me as dumb. I could barely read my textbooks. Uh, Tim Tebow has come out and said that he is also managing and lives with dyslexia. And he says that you feel bright, you feel smart, but you still have this condition And you just have to understand how to learn. He's saying from his perspective, he had to understand how to learn and how to process information. And wouldn't it be better if we all became better educated about this? So we're not that obstacle in the way of a great athlete. What if Muhammad Ali had believed his teachers, believed that he was dumb? What if he had taken that in? Our world would have missed out on that. Our world will miss out on these individuals if they are struggling in an academic setting, they come to the field, they come to the gym for a relief, we'll miss out on the beauty that they bring to sports if we don't understand what's going on. Bruce Jenner transitioning to Caitlyn Jenner also talks about his dyslexia and how he barely made it through school. Uh, He's an Olympic gold medalist. There are so many individuals that live with this condition and still thrive. What our job is as parents, as fans, as coaches, what our job is, is to understand, is to look beneath what we could just dismiss as not wanting to listen, forgetfulness, not being obedient. What we want to look behind those just stereotypes, behind those labels, and really understand if it could be something else. We want to be slow to shame, never to shame. We want to never to humiliate. And like I said earlier, we want to work toward a world where we're bringing people in. We want not only diversity in skin color, in economics, in viewpoints, we want diversity in the way that we think. It's called neurodiversity. We want to bring in intelligence in all of its forms. So I hope that you've enjoyed this talk that I've had. Remember that you can always hear this and past episodes by going to my website, jsaunderslawfirm.com. While you're there, you can learn more about me, more about my practice and the services that the firm offers. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. And until our next show, be well and take care. All information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.